Welcome to Conversations with Anne Elizabeth, the podcast inspired by my book, I'm a Registered Dietitian, Now What?, where I have the absolute joy to sit back, relax, and have a conversation about nutrition with a variety of people who share their personal story of passion and purpose, especially registered dietitians. Today's conversation is with Stephanie Hodges, a registered dietitian who started out interested in biology, got hooked on nutrition, and has not one, but two masters in food policy and public health. With her passions being public health, food policy, and child nutrition, she has started her own food policy consultant business, The Nourish Principles. Please enjoy my conversation with Stephanie. I got to learn some about you when we were together last last fall, but I didn't get to learn all of your stories. So I'm excited to learn about kind of how you got started in the field of dietetics and your way to your very interesting business and all the things that you do. So maybe take me back when you were a younger Stephanie and when did you kind of start getting interested in dietetics or how did you get involved? So that's a great question. And every time I think back on my background and my education, it's hard to believe how long ago that was. Um, So I think everything really started with me in the field of nutrition and dietetics. When I was an undergrad, I went to Virginia Tech, go Hokies. Um, But I started out as a biology major and really had always just had a passion for health and for medicine and wanting to help people. And so I started out in biology and I really just decided that some of the classes were too scientific and I really just wanted to learn more about the practical approach and how to apply those practices to help people. So I took my first nutrition class kind of on a whim and not only did I love the material, but I really just loved the enthusiasm that all of the professors had for what they were teaching. So I I thought a little bit about, you know, is this the route that I want to go? And luckily where I went to school, we had the option to study nutrition, but also with a focus on health promotion. So I was able to connect those two passions of mine. And from there, the rest is kind of history. Um, I did part of my DPD in undergrad, and then I finished it up in grad school so that I could apply for the dietetic internship and, you know, became an RD and here I am. Now, do you have your master's in nutrition or do you have it in public health? Yeah. So I went to Tufts for grad school and I earned two master's at the same time. It was a dual degree. One is in public health and then the other is in food policy and applied nutrition. And that is, I I actually, in all of the work that I do every single day, I feel like I use both of those degrees um, and I'm using my policy one a lot um, nowadays, but I'm still able to use my public health one and then that background in nutrition as well. That's interesting. That was a dual, that seems really hard to do a dual degree in both of those. So please explain to me how you manage that. So not only was I doing the two degrees, but I also was finishing some of my DPD classes on top of that. And I was putting myself through school. So I was working at a restaurant on the weekends or doing research assistant work. Uh, So at the time, it was just a very busy, stressful part of life. And I feel like I've kind of blocked it out. Um, (laughs) I just remember it being like, oh, this is painful, but I have to push through. And so now that I'm done, um, you know, it was it was a short um, sacrifice for a a really good long term career. But yeah, it was it was a busy couple of years. I finished it in two full years. Um, So it was it was very fast paced, lots of classes, lots of extracurricular work that came along with those. But it was a it was a great experience. And I feel like it does set me apart a little bit from some other RDs who either have a master's in nutrition or just a master's in public health. I felt like the dual degrees sets me apart and it gives me a little bit of a unique skill set in the field of nutrition. Sure. Well, the food policy, I didn't know that was, you know, honestly, 
that's not something a lot of people are aware of that that's even a degree or a graduate degree. So I think that's interesting that that was available to you. Yeah. And even it was even more separated once you get there, because, you, you know, as you're studying public health or you're studying nutrition, a lot of time you, you get to choose, you know, do I want to have a focus on domestic work or international. And that was almost like the first decision when you get there is how do I want to, how do I want my career to go and how do I want to impact the field of public health and nutrition? And so for me, I had just recently completed an AmeriCorps VISTA year in child nutrition in schools, working with a nonprofit. And so I was really passionate about the domestic part of uh, food policy. And so I have focused on domestic my entire career. I focused on domestic food policy when I was at Tufts. And I've really just, I feel like begun to scratch the surface on all of the nuances of federal nutrition policy and how we as dietitians can play a role in that. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to definitely get into that. So how do you transition, you know, thinking about you have your graduate degree, you spent <laughs> blood, sweat and tears doing this for two years. How does that transition into jobs? You know, because I feel like a lot of people, since we don't know as dietitians, you know, what is out there as far as public health, as far as food policy, what were kind of your next steps with your degrees and kind of what was your vision? Yeah, so after I finished my graduate degrees, excuse me, I had to complete my dietetic internship. So I was super excited to finish grad school and have all of these ideas of what I wanted to do as a career. And you have to take a little bit of a pause on that and do, as you know, the dietetic internship is almost an entire year. Mine started in August and didn't finish until June. And so during that experience, I kept seeing all of these opportunities of careers that I could choose. And I feel like a lot of times when we're during, when we're doing the internship, we are um, encouraged to seek out a clinical route or we're encouraged to do community nutrition in a really um, comfortable setting like WIC or working for a food bank. And I just remember one time being with a preceptor And it was getting closer towards the end of my internship. And she said, well, what do you want to do when you finish? And I said, I want to move to D.C. and get a job in policy. And I remember her saying to me, that's really disappointing. (laughs) Um, And um, that was an interesting response. But um, the funny thing about it now is I've kind of forged my own path in this nutrition policy world. And I I didn't end up moving to DC, but the bulk of my work now is in DC. Um, But I ended up in a a great position doing nutrition policy work. And I think that that response just kind of pushed me even further to know how important that work was, not only because of the work you're doing when you're working in that sector, but also to show other dietitians the, the incredible impacts that it can have on our profession and on patients and just the general population. Wow, I cannot believe that she said that to you. That's great. But I like <laughs> I like it was a motivator for you, you know, like, oh, well, that's disappointing. Well, watch me. I'm going to make this happen. <laughs> yeah, I've um, always been the type of person where, you know, if someone says, oh, you can't do that or you shouldn't do that. You know, there, it's always followed up with a why. Um, and uh, I was definitely a challenging child when it came to instructions <laughs> and listening to directions. So I feel like that has helped me uh, for the most sure. part in my career and finishing school and all that. Absolutely. So now what was your next steps then after your internship? Yeah. So when I, before I started grad school and I was doing my AmeriCorps year, I worked for a really fantastic organization in Richmond, Virginia, and I had stayed in touch with my boss. I think this just goes to show how important relationships are to keep relationships and to forge those and how important networking is. So I reached back out to her. It had been, you know, three years and she knew of a position within an organization doing child nutrition work. And so I actually, after my internship, ended up going to work in the governor's office in Virginia on the First Lady's Child Nutrition Initiative. And so that was 
an incredible opportunity to not only be able to work with school different school districts and nonprofits and other partners to show them how to utilize these federal child nutrition programs to essentially end hunger, but also to work with a wide range of folks on the advocacy front of, you know, why do we need to talk to state legislators? state legislators, federal legislators about how important these programs are and being able to talk to families about how important it was that their child received school breakfast or their child was able to get a meal during the summer. So it was such an incredible opportunity and I was able to make a really big impact in my home state of Virginia and that was just um, something that I will always treasure very dearly. That sounds incredible as, you know, right out of your inter again, like you said, those connections, like making those connections and sustaining those connections to get you to things that you want to be doing as a dietitian. Yeah. And I felt like, um, and when I was talking to the organization about uh, applying and, and interviewing my way through to work in the governor's office, um, I was able to really put forth that RD expertise and talk about the nutrition behind it. And I feel like that that really gave me a leg up to be a really strong candidate for the position they were looking for. So what kind of things were involved in that job? Because I feel like, and maybe that's something that you can talk a little bit more about to dietitians, about how a dietitian's role fits into that. Like what kind of things did you do to assist that program? Yeah, I think the biggest thing, and this is just in no matter what part of dietetics you're in, whether you're in clinical, community, food service, um, anything is collaboration. So a huge part of my job was bringing together partners, bringing together school nutrition directors, bringing together policymakers, and having these tough conversations of hunger exists within our communities, within our state, and how can we utilize our our power and our connections to in this or to decrease food insecurity. So collaboration was one of the biggest things that I did in my job, whether it was bringing folks together for a statewide summit, having stakeholder meetings about breakfast or, um, you know, talking about how we can increase local foods in schools, doing meal quality work. So we really all relied on each other and really just took hold of those partnerships. And I think that that's why we were able to move the needle so far in Virginia with child hunger um, and having more kids eat breakfast, having more kids have access to after school meals and summer meals was because we all work together. And I can't stress how important that is. That's, yeah. So tell me, like, what, so what were some of the results of working? You said that you in, decreased child, you know, child hunger in your state. What kind of things came about after you did those collaborations? Yeah. So the, a little bit of background about Virginia politics. It's a little strange. Um, our governors can only serve one term. So when the first lady announced this as her initiative and we were ramping up, there was really only four years to get all of this work done. And as we know in public health and nutrition, it takes a lot of effort to move the needle on some of these really tough issues in that short amount of time. Four years might not seem like a short amount of time, but it is when you're thinking that other folks have eight years or, or longer. So mm -hmm. in Virginia specifically, we had a lot more kids eating breakfast. I believe we had 10% more uh, breakfast served. We had millions more breakfast served. Um, when you're looking at the individual meal numbers. But not only that, we had a lot more districts taking advantage of the programs that they hadn't been doing. And maybe it's because they didn't know about it or they didn't know how they were going to be able to implement a summer meals program. So a lot of that work was connecting them with their peers. So if we had a school nutrition director in one district who had implemented a fantastic summer meals program, we would connect them with a the director in another district who really wanted to do it, but just wasn't sure where to start. So that connecting piece was our role and really finding these champions of these programs so that they could help their peers and then also talk to decision makers about what they had done. That's awesome. 
That's so interesting. I think um, I worked a little bit with school nutrition, but not on the level that you have. But it's amazing. Like, just like you said, like connecting people and making sure that people know what's available and what's out there and just knowing that they have school breakfast available to them. Yeah. And I think school nutrition and child nutrition is one of my favorite subject areas to work in just because there's so much excitement around it. And, you know, if we don't take care of our children's health, then what does our future look like? Um, And there are so many great organizations that do work around child nutrition and school meals. And so I'm happy that I still get to do that work. But that is one big um, piece of advocacy work that I think all dietitians can get involved with is, you know, how can we protect the health and nutrition of children because it is so important because they grow up to be adults. And so many dietitians are doing counseling with adults Mm -hmm. who might have a chronic disease or might have something else that they're trying to address. And if we can address it early and if we can tackle some of these issues in in children, then maybe we won't see as many of these issues, chronic diseases um, in adulthood. That's so true. That is so true. You're right. hundred percent. Yeah. I always tell people, I'm like, you're, the things that you experience in your health as an adult started when you were a kid. Absolutely. So it's not like it just happens overnight. Once you turn 50, everything goes to crap, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so how, so did you stay with the, did you stay working there throughout the, that for your term or what kind of, what were your next steps after that? Yeah. So I actually came in, um, about a year and a half before the administration was about to end and turn over. So as the term was ending, I actually transitioned over to our state department of education and worked in school nutrition programs there and oversaw about $10 million in grants for school nutrition. So very similar work where we were making sure that school districts were utilizing all of the federal child nutrition programs to feed as many kids as possible and still continuing to work with partners to utilize these programs and ensure that they were receiving high quality foods as well. So similar work still in state government and was really able to just um, see how grants can really enhance programs and allow school districts to do a little bit more and really have them focus on the programmatic piece of it and not as much as the financial piece. I think it's amazing that the, like people don't realize how many grants are out there when it comes to school nutrition. Yeah. Am I right? And even yeah. Like public health nutrition in general, um, community nutrition, this is something that I offer to my clients is grant writing and grant implementation. And the big piece of it is sustainability. It's great when someone gets a grant and they're able to do a great program or workshop or whatever it may be. But you have to think beyond the life of that grant. How can you sustain the work that you're doing And knowing that you might not have the funds. So that's a really big focus of mine in my business is when I'm working with clients and they're wanting to apply for a grant or they've already gotten a grant. It's how can we sustain that work because we really want that long term success and to have that long term impact. I think that's true, too, because I've noticed just like even some community grants around my area, it's kind of like a one and done. They're like, oh, well, we got this money. We'll do it. And then it's over and then we will never do it again. But if it was impactful it's so important to like, how can you continue doing it and making it work? Yeah. And the interesting thing about that, because that has been the model for so long are to fund programs or workshops. We're actually seeing a lot of funders now switch to funding policy work, because if you're putting a policy in place about um, recess, let's use recess for, for an example. So if you're going to the school district or whatever it is to have a policy about we're going to have a minimum of 30 minutes of recess a day and they pass that, that is impactful for current children, children who haven't came through the school system yet, children who haven't been born in the school system yet. So if we're really thinking about how can we utilize grants for policy change, that is really where we're seeing that long-term impact. And obviously you have to stay um, in the loop of that because leaders change, you know, the city council changes, the school board changes, the mayor changes, but making sure that that stays a priority, but 
funders are getting really, really interested in systems change through policy work. And it makes a lot of sense um, because then you're really impacting a large population current and then future as well. That's awesome. And that's awesome that you can assist with like those types of things as a dietitian. You know, a lot of people don't realize that that is a place that we can be at the table. Absolutely. And a lot of times with these grants is what will happen is, as we mentioned, they're short term, maybe they're six months, maybe they're a year, but they could use your expertise. I find that that's where a lot of my consulting comes from are what we would call shorter term projects. Um, and they they want someone like you and I to be able to walk through, well, has this happened before? How has it gone? What could we do to improve upon it? And just sharing our experiences and our knowledge as a dietitian and working in nutrition to really make sure that the program and the grant and the policy is really successful. So did you learn all about grant writing and that type of stuff in your master's program? No, it was a completely on-the-job experience. Um, Okay. Yeah, when I was in AmeriCorps, because I was doing capacity building, the organization where I worked was doing a ton of grant writing because they were new and they were trying to build capacity. So I had a fantastic boss there and every single opportunity to plug me into grant writing, she allowed me to do that, which was great. And then... In grad school, I did a little bit of work also doing grant writing and implementation of grants. And then it's really just something that I've learned. But the great thing about it is if people are interested in that, there are a lot of free resources now for grant writing. I actually just did a presentation not too long ago about this, and I was Googling um free grant writing workshops and classes online and in person. And there are so many out there. Some are pretty detailed and some are high level. But if that's something people are interested in, that is one good thing that there are so many resources nowadays, whether it's a course or reading something, there's just a lot of information about how you can gain those skills and and fine tune them if you've worked in grants before, but you really want to kind of take it to the next level and be a fantastic grant writer and maybe even offer that as a consulting service. Um, I just really think that that is a fantastic skill to have and something that you can always use. Awesome. That's good to know because I know that I feel like some people reach out to dietitians because they are writing a grant and they need to know how to implement some programming. And so they end up having to consult on them anyways. So that would be a good place for us to be. Absolutely. So how long were you were how long were you with the education department then? So I was there a little less than a year. Um there were some um let's see. There were some <laughs> there was some environmental not great situations. Sure. Um, so, and although I loved working in the position, connecting with school districts and being able to help them and provide that technical assistance, I also found that I was really missing the nutrition piece of what I was doing. And, you know, I, I went to school for that and I'm paying on a lot of student loans to not use that ex- expertise. Yeah. Um, so that's when I had connected with a couple people who had gone out and done their own consulting business. And I really just took a leap of faith and had created an incredible network of folks that I reached out to as soon as I started consulting. And I had my first client within a month of consulting. And so it was very scary and I had a lot of support and I think looking back, I wish I would have probably took that leap sooner, but I feel really good about the decision that I've made to, to be my own boss and provide consulting services in the public health nutrition space and especially with policy. And yeah, so I, I'm about uh, this August will be two years that I've been doing my own consulting. So it's it's been a, a wild ride, but for the most part, it's been really great and I've learned a lot. That's So do you kind of stick to your, when you do consulting, are you sticking to your area in which you live or do you consult across the whole United States? Yeah, so 99% of my work is not based where I am, which is great about being a virtual consultant. You can do a lot of work remotely. We can kind of live wherever we, if 
there is a family emergency and we need to go home for a week. You know, I have that flexibility, but I'm on the road a lot. And so I do travel up to DC a lot and I travel to other client sites as well as needed. And I just make sure that that's not a barrier for me. So if I have a client who's going to require a little bit more travel, I just make that work. Um, So I'm very client focused as you have to be in consulting. So I'm on the road a fair amount and I do travel a bit being that most of my work is in the DC area um, or other client locations, but it's been great. So what are some, what's kind of, I know the day in the life is not consistent for you, but what kind of, how do you, how do you balance all the travel and all the different things that you're working on? So you kind of keep them all straight and make sure everything's mainstream because it seems like there's a lot of different things going on for you all the time. Yeah, I think this is something that I'm constantly working on because it's so different than going into an office at eight doing, you know, your to-do list, meeting with your coworkers and leaving at five. Um, so I have found that I, even though I work from home, I'm much more productive when I am not working in my home. So a lot of times I'm going out to coffee shops or the local library to be able to be really productive. But I think it's something I'm still working on. I originally was trying to do meetings all on just one or two days a week so that I kept the other days open for client work. And that lasted about (laughs) two weeks. Um, And so it's just, it's something that I'm constantly working on, but I really try to, instead of having, I'm very type A, I'm very organized. And I always have had a to-do list for not only the week, but breaking it down to the individual day. And given the flexibility in consulting and that things come up all the time, I've really just given myself a little bit of grace there to know, oh my gosh, if I didn't get everything checked off on my list for this day, that's okay. And what can I shift? And so prioritizing has been a huge part of that, but then also allowing myself to have the flexibility to shift things around as needed to best meet the needs of my clients. But yeah, I think it's, I think it's definitely something I'll always be working on, even though I've gotten better at it, but it's definitely something that's, that's hard to know how to, how to manage when things come up and not having as normal of a routine in a day. So true. That's good that you're adaptable. Like you're type A, but you're adaptable. You know what I mean? Like you have to be in that situation. Yeah. You really don't have a choice. I mean, if, you know, someone needs a call tomorrow or um, especially working in the policy world, if a bill is filed or if, you know, something happens, you have to respond right away. So I'm, I'm lucky that I've you know, been able to respond well to that. And it, but it's definitely something I'm still working on. So share with me, what's the name of your business? The name of my business is The Nourished Principles. And if I had it to do over again, I would not have named my business that because A, it was very long and B, people do not know how to spell nourished or principles. So just a piece of advice for anyone who is planning to name a business in the near future. (laughs) Think about all those elements, right? Do you think you'll change your name at some point? I don't because I'm starting to build my brand awareness and I've, you know, done a lot of branding and it, it is who I am. And, but yeah, just a word of advice. I think looking back, if there was one thing I could have done differently, it probably would be to not name a business something so long and something easy to spell. But <laughs> and then what's kind of you your focus? What are the things that you offer as far as services? Yeah, so as an RD, most people think when you say you have your own business or you're doing consulting that you're doing one-on-one services. And I'm a little unique in the sense that I've never done one-on-one counseling ever as an RD, not in a community setting or hospital setting or even in my own business. So the major 
services that I offer are public health consulting, whether that's programs or policy related. I do a fair amount of nutrition communications work. I'm doing some grant writing work as well. Child nutrition program support is big. And then also my nutrition policy and strategy work. So it's interesting. I always talk to people who have very, very strong feelings about being a generalist or a specialist. And I think I fall very much into the generalist category. And a lot of people will say, you need to specialize, you need to niche down. But I've found that this has worked really well for me. And I'm able to work in all of the different areas where I have experience and I'm really interested in working. So, so far, it's been great. That's awesome. What would you, what kind of advice would you give to a younger dietitian or an RD to be if they wanted to go into food policy? They wanted to go into that realm of our profession. What's kind of like the first steps that you would tell them? I think the biggest thing to do is find someone who is doing that and connect with them. I was lucky to have some really fantastic mentors and connections as I was getting into this field and as I've grown my career. And I think if it's, you know, if it's you're an RD already and you want to get into it or you want to get into policy as soon as you finish your internship, it's just something that is very nuanced and there are a lot of moving pieces. So I think if you can just have a general conversation with someone about that's already working in policy about what do you do and what are the opportunities out there? Because the policy world is, although it's very big, it's very small as well. So a lot of folks know each other. You might know of a position, but I think the more you can learn about the world, the better off you are. There's tons of newsletters you can sign up for. There are tons of organizations that you can learn about. And so the more information you can gather as you're learning about this type of career in this type of field, the better off you'll be. But all the, everyone listening will be calling you. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they might reach out to you. <laughs> but, I think, but I think oh that's such an area. Yeah, the, it's such an area I think is fascinating. And it was never, ever really brought up I'm an older dietitian though too, but I feel like it's getting better with our younger population of dietitians that this is a thing and that this is something we should be paying attention to. So like you mentioned earlier, like as far as when you think about talking to dietitians, what do you want them to know the most about food policy? Well, I think the first thing is the internship is still very set up in those three buckets of clinical community and food service. And I think to really move our profession forward and to provide these unique, unconventional opportunities that we're going to have to revamp the dietetic internship. You know, the field of dietetics has changed so much in just the last decade that we have to figure out how we can leverage these unique career paths that don't fit into one of those three buckets to really make an impact on health and nutrition. So I think that's that's the first thing. And then the second is, you know, preceptors and dietetic internship directors can, this is always something they can learn about. And so that they're giving an opportunity to interns or even just to students. And you don't have to be the expert on it, but there are people who are. So bring them in, give people the full range of possibilities within this profession. Because as you said, you know, this is kind of a a newer area. There have been dietitians working in it for years, but there are tons of opportunities in it. And I think if it's, you know, something people are interested in just, you know, learning about it, there are tons of webinars on this and there are ways, even if you don't want this to be your your full-time job, I know plenty of people who say, you know, "I, I love my job, but I'd like to get more involved in policy. And that's totally an option as well. I'm not saying that everyone needs to quit their full-time job and be, you know, involved in nutrition policy, but, you know, you can volunteer, you can even go to your local city council meetings and learn about, are there health-related initiatives going through, talk to your school board about school nutrition. You can then talk to folks in your state that are advocating for these opportunities. So I think not only are there careers in policy, but there are also volunteer opportunities to get involved and learn more about how can we improve the health and nutrition of our communities, our states, and overall our our country. Yeah, it doesn't have to start. Like I think a lot of times 
you know, we hear about advocacy and it's like, oh, we'll start to talk to your senators. Go, You don't have to start there. You can start, no. more, like you said, city council is a great place to start. Yeah, especially if there is something that, um, and it doesn't even have to be nutrition related. In where I live in Charleston, there is a huge movement around active transportation and we have way too many cars on the road, but there are no bike lanes. It's incredibly unsafe for people to walk and bike. And so, I mean, that's a great opportunity because you're talking about improving people's health through alternate modes of transportation. So it doesn't have to be an MNT bill. It doesn't have to be really specific about nutrition. It can just be health related. Um, And you also could just go and introduce yourself if there's nothing that you see that's relevant. So people know who you are. And so if there is a bill or there is an issue, they might remember you and say, oh, hey, you know, I remember this one time we had this nutrition professional come to our meeting and they introduce themselves. And now that we want to take up this issue, maybe we should talk to them. Um, As much as our elected officials like to seem like they know a little bit of everything sometimes, um, they really rely on people who have that subject matter expertise. And that's totally where we can fit in. I think that's a great thing to think of it that way. Like just being being that expert in your community and offering, like you said, even if there's nothing out there, just be like, hey, I'm a dietitian. I live here. I work here. I care about here. I want to be part of things that are going on. Absolutely. And people, you know, people are very receptive to that. And they like that because a lot of times at these meetings, a lot of times you just hear the negative. And so when they hear someone that says, hey, I just want you to know about me and I want you to know about our profession and what we're passionate about and how I can help is like a total 180 from the typical angry emails that they're probably getting. (laughs) So yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No kidding. So where do you see kind of the future of your business and your services? Yeah. So it's shifted quite a bit in the last, I would say six months and it, is mainly because of policies and just things going on right now. So um, a year ago, although I was doing some volunteer work and had some positions in nutrition policy work, I wasn't really working very strongly with clients one-on-one with nutrition policy work. And so just in the last six months, I've really had found those clients that I want to work with on nutrition policy and they've been great. So looking at what is that strategy for that company look like in terms of policy? How can they be involved in these processes? How can they be sure that they're staying on top of things that might impact their industry? And so I'm still very much working in the public health program consulting space, which I love too. Um, So in an ideal world, I would really be combining those services to still being able to impact public health and working in programs, but then also working in that policy space. That sounds amazing. I'm excited to kind of, well, I love following you. If no one follows Stephanie, you need to, I will connect that in the show notes. But I even love the information that you share as far as like nutrition label, like things that are going on that we really don't realize are going on, even as dietitians and just average people living here that we should be aware of. And that's kind of like policy and action a little bit. Thank you. Yeah. And what's unfortunate about that is a lot of times people don't know about these things until they're done and then it's, it's done. So we don't have an opportunity to speak out and say, Hey, this isn't a great idea or wait, you know, did you even think to get our opinion on this? So that's kind of the goal of all of my social media accounts are to really just keep people aware of what is going on. Are there opportunities for us to share our opinions, have our voices heard. And then when the legislation is passed or an issue comes up, you know, how can we react to it in a positive way so that A, we're cheering for it because it's really great or B, we're making sure that something like this doesn't happen again. Um, So yeah, that's just, I mean, I love sharing that information because I think that it's a really great way to not only connect with other RD colleagues, but also just consumers in general, because a lot of times they're the missing piece in this and they're the ones who are most impacted by a lot of this work. 
Yeah, I agree. And like the food label, when you think about, you've done that education series recently mm-hmm. on that. And I think that that was like the perfect example of what you just said. Like the consumer, they don't, they don't notice it until they notice it. And it's like you said, done. And it's, you know, they don't know how it works. They don't know why things have changed. So I think that's good that you're kind of intercepting that education. Yeah. And I'll put a plug in for the FDA um, because I was in a meeting with them recently, but they actually have created some really great resources for nutrition educators and healthcare providers on um, the new food label. So they have a whole toolkit for nutrition educators to use with patients to use in community settings to use with consumers so you can always check that out i think the academy actually sent an email out about it recently but those toolkits are you know meant for us to use and so me being able to see those resources and share them is really important to me too so that we're you know using what's available to us and so that we're not recreating the wheel right which a lot of us, I think that we forget that there are those resources out there. And then we start, oh, I got to put this presentation together. Oh, I got to put this handout together. But those things actually. Yes. Happen. Yeah. And they're really time consuming for the people who create them. So um, it's, you know, use what they've created and um, really just be able to share that information and us not spend all of the time recreating something that's already been done. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Well, I think what you do is so interesting. And I'm so glad that we got to meet each other this past fall and I got to learn a little bit more about you. But this is all coming. It's all coming together a little bit more right now of where you kind of started and all the hard work you've put. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because if we would have recorded this in the fall, it probably would have been a pretty different interview just because. Yeah. Really? Business (laughs) has shifted in, you know, in great but different ways. Um, and I think that that's something that I've had to learn to adapt to or how can I adapt to new projects and new clients and really just figuring out and finding my way in this world of consulting. It's hard. It's hard, especially because there's probably not a lot, you know, like when you think about being, having your own business and then having other people that you can like collaborate with, there's probably not a ton of you collaborating together, especially since it's kind of more of a new frontier. Yeah. And the thing about it is when you start your own business, you know, I started my own business to provide my nutrition expertise and to help clients, but you have to know how to do marketing. You have to know how to do accounting. You have to know how to do everything. And I think that that, (laughs) yes, and it's, it's hard because at the end of the day, and I said this recently is I just want to run my business. And so finding those things that make me really happy about running my business has been really important for the long-term success of my business. So identifying, are there things that don't excite me and are, can I outsource those Um, and still be able to have a really successful business? But I think those of us who do have our own businesses, I've connected with a couple of really fantastic groups of other consultants. And it has just been such a great support system because it's pretty lonely, um, especially working from home, working for yourself. And you just want to ask someone, you know, can you review this um, document? Because I've been looking at it for three weeks and want to make sure that there's no typos. Um, Or you can say, hey, I have a tax question. Does anyone else have this question? Um, So I think finding that support and finding that those networking groups has 100% been such a lifeline for me. And I'm so grateful for them. And I always try to give back when people have questions because it is a give and a take there. And I've just, if I didn't have those groups, I think that I would be in a different place, but I'm really fortunate to have found some really great consulting groups to be a part of. That's awesome, girl. Well, keep doing your amazing things. I think it's so great. And I think you're a great resource too. So I know if I ever have any questions, I will definitely come to you. Thank you. Yeah. And um, I do really enjoy sharing about my business and about my path. And um, I always try to make time for people who say, I really just want to learn more about what you do or about the field. So I try my best to make that happen with my schedule. Um, But yeah, I always tell people, you know, it it might be a little bit before we can connect, but it's Mm -hmm. definitely a, a growing field and it's a unique 
sector of dietetics. And I just really want people to know that it's a possible career path. It's an exciting career path and there are going to be tons of opportunities in it. And just because it's different doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. (laughs) Right. No, that's such a good point. Don't be scared about something that's a little bit different. Yeah. Yeah. All right, my dear. Well, I'm going to end with our our last questions of the podcast, which everyone says are the hardest questions. So um, why don't you share with me what foods you enjoy? Oh my gosh. Macaroni and cheese is like my favorite, favorite food in the whole entire world. Um, (laughs) Do you make it from scratch? uh, Sometimes, but also there's, you know, you can't really beat a good shells and cheese. Um, so (laughs) that is a problem. Yeah. I'm definitely one of those people, all foods fit. Um, I mean, I love mac and cheese. I love any fresh fruit I can get living in South Carolina. We are approaching, um, fresh strawberry season and then peach season will be very close. So anything fresh that I can get my hands on is I just, I love that. But I mean, my all-time favorite food is macaroni and cheese, hands down, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What beverages do you enjoy? Ooh, I'm a big seltzer water fan. Just all seltzer waters. Um, I mean, I like LaCroix, but I like the store brand. I've been on um, a Spindrift kick lately. So anything with just a little extra flavor and punch, I really like. I like that there's so many options now. Like I think about back like, you know, five years ago, there was just like club soda. Yeah. <laughs> and now there's so many options. There's it's amazing. So many. Um, if anyone lives near a Wegmans, which we do not live near Wegmans anymore, and it's very sad. They have this one, <laughs> it's black cherry vanilla seltzer water, and it tastes Ooh. like a cherry coke. Um, and yeah, it's it's amazing. So go to Wegmans. Good. Yeah. Uh, what kind of scents or smells do you enjoy? I think anything fruity. Um, I like sweet a lot. So I just think, you know, on a spring day when it's almost like a sweet floral scent in the air is just really nice. Um, living near the beach, obviously there's a very beachy smell. And I think when you don't live at the beach, you love that smell. And then when you live here, you almost take, you know, you take advantage of it a little bit. So, um, you know, before we moved here, I would probably say beachy smell, but now I'm so used yeah. to it. <laughs> Now it's just the normal smell for you. So it's not that big a deal. (laughs) Um, What kind of things do you like to listen to as far as like music, TV, podcast? Yeah. So I spend a decent amount of time in the car when I'm traveling sometimes, sometimes if it's not by plane. So I love podcasts. Um, I love a lot of true crime podcasts. So, oh yes, me too. Of <laughs> um, so I feel like I've listened to all of the big ones on the true crime front, and I love. I'm very not only am I involved in policy, but I'm pretty politically active as well, and so I love listening to political podcasts and just staying in the know. As sometimes depressing as that is. Um, um, yeah, but yeah, so podcasts are good. Yeah. <laughs> um, podcasts are great. I'm trying to think, you know, we've done some Netflix series recently. Obviously we watched cheer. It was fantastic. Yes. I just finished it. It was so good. Was so good. <laughs> um, Queer Eyes, another big, uh, favorite of mine. I actually went and saw Jonathan Van Ness perform for my birthday and it was amazing yes so any good netflix series um is really great and i have to admit i'm one of those people who still watch the bachelor and bachelorette and you know it's uh been an interesting season i i will say i usually am doing work during it so i catch every you know few minutes but (laughs) it's on in the background and i still love to read the spoilers but any pretty much any good like trashy reality tv is right up my alley (laughs) well the show's like three hours long so it'd be hard to sit there and it all the whole time yes there's no i watch it too yeah it's so it's so good but also so bad at the same time 
I know, I know. But oh well, you know, we have to have that balance, right? <laughs> um, and what brings you joy in life? I really now realize how much I took for granted strong, close, like working friendships and having a strong network of friends around me. So I would say definitely spending time with really good friends. Um, We ended up moving from Richmond to Charleston when I started my business because I was like, oh, Charleston's great. We lived there before. I'm doing consulting. We can live wherever. And I found that it's really lonely. And I find myself driving six hours up 95 to Richmond, probably more than um, I ever thought I would. So when I get to spend time with those really close friends and just, you know, talk about life and get to spend time with them is something that I really enjoy now. And, you know, probably um, we'll be making the move back to Richmond sooner rather than later, just because so much of our network is there. And we're from Virginia and we have such a close connection there. But um, yeah, I think really just spending time with friends is really something that I miss and that I really love. Well, you wouldn't have realized it unless you moved. So that's good that you know now that that's where your heart is. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I mean, we've been able to live at the beach and I'm sure you can imagine how many visitors that we've had. Um, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> so it's it's been great. And Charleston has so much to offer. And, um, you know, it's it's a great place to visit. And it's a lot of great food and festivals and fun. But I think finding that place where you can really call home, where you just feel so comfortable there and at home and you feel like people are so welcoming is so important, especially as you're, you know, becoming an, not becoming an adult, but you are an adult. Um, You know, friendships are different than college and high school. And so it's, it's something that you learn along the way for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, that is, I think that is very good advice to people to kind of think of, you know, those relationships and those conversations and how meaningful they are and how much you should lean into that and give that more of your time. Yeah, it's, it's so important. And especially as you, you know, go on through life, you can rely on those same group of people and they can rely on you. And that's just so invaluable. For sure. sure. Well, thank you. I have absolutely enjoyed chatting with you today. And I look forward to all the great things that you are going to be doing in your future uh, and moving, maybe who knows, lots of great things with a business that you can do. But it's so great to know you. And thank you for all that you do. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. This has been really great. And I'm so glad we were able to meet and connect and stay connected. So I look forward to staying in touch. This woman is doing such great things with sincere passion for food policy. As dietitians, we should have food policy on our radar. And I loved her message about being present in all policy conversations in your community, or at least try to be involved in some of those. Be the expert if they need you. That's all you need to do. Please reach out to Stephanie if this is something you're interested in and want to learn more about. Her contact information is in the show notes. Remember to be great always, find the joy in each day, and to start a conversation that truly matters.